0: Hello and welcome to uh, another week and another episode of Bottled Up. This is episode number 34, which has absolutely flown by over the last 18 months, I think. Um, so this week I'm sitting down with the awesome uh, Daniel Datnow Jamison, who's also known by the name DJ and is also conveniently a DJ himself. So kudos to you, man. You've <laughs> got it all worked out. Uh, he's a good friend, fellow global shaper and an operations manager and facilitator at the Man Cave uh, doing some awesome work across Australia with some young kids. Um, I make the joke with Mank and Ujwal that you know whenever we do get someone from the man cave on, that it's a pretty easy job for us because you know they're quite articulate and <laughs> uh, express themselves really really well. So um, no pressure at all, DJ. But yeah, you've absolutely nailed it on this one. Um, <laughs> uh, and so yeah, we touch on so many different topics uh, over the next 75 minutes. So. Uh, Sit back, whether you're mowing the lawn, making a coffee, um, that would be a pretty long coffee if you are making a coffee for 75 minutes, but if you are, tune in. Um, We go through a number of different topics, including the work that the Man Cave is doing across Australia and where DJ fits into that puzzle, Um, DJ's experience navigating the move between three different high schools, um, you know, going from like a mixed sex school to a single sex school, and his experiences of bullying and anti-Semitism. Um, How this led him down a path of adaptation and overcoming social anxiety and how this has both impacted and benefited his life in reflection and in hindsight. Um, How he's found community and purpose through shared experiences within the creative space through um, the music and dance space. and so, yeah, we, we cover quite a bit. There's plenty more, including how dopamine and social media plays a role in DJ's life as well. So, an overall, genuinely awesome guy. Um, I hope you guys enjoy the conversation as much as I did. And stay tuned and get your coffee ready. <laughs> I thought let's, let's, um, let's start this off in true man cave fashion, uh, listen to a couple of episodes both inside the cave and outside the cave, and you guys have this uh, amazing routine, starting off with a check-in. So just wanted to do a check-in, how are you feeling um, spiritually, emotionally, physically, um, all the good stuff, <laughs> if you wanted to kick it off.
1: Yeah, cool. And for a little bit of context, as Sonny was referencing, I, I work at the man cave. Uh, which is a mental health not-for-profit. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, and this is a tool that we love to use with the boys that we work with and ourselves as well. (sighs) So DJ checking in. Um, It feels really great to be back in the swing of things. Um, I yesterday went for a big climb. I really enjoy um, bouldering and rock climbing, and this was my first time since being a teenager that I was climbing on leads. It's really exciting, kind of prepping to go out there and climb on some real rocks in the future. Um, and it was just, yeah, that was my first time back in a climbing gym in about three months, so it was just so good to get back into that energy. Um, and the previous week as well, I spent um, four or five days out near Mount Beauty, um, so that was just really nice to be on hikes out in nature, recharging. Um, and then in between those two events, I um, Yeah, I also delivered a a workshop for Man Cave and it was just so beautiful to be connected back to purpose Um, and to work with boys kind of in real life again back at their school was just pretty magical for me. And, yeah, I haven't delivered a workshop since Term 2, so that was just (laughs) incredible. Um, And so, you know, bringing those things together, not to diary dump, but really to kind of pull out the essence of it is like, Deep recharge time uh, last weekend, really deep connection back to purpose again as well uh, during the week, um, and then just most recently as well, like, a, a connection back to those physical passions that I have for activity and um, climbing specifically as well. So, yeah, by all means, man, things are going really, really well right now.
0: Nice. Um, did you, yeah, you're full of positivity. It's, it's good to hear, like, we're fully back into the swing of things, so... Um, super happy for you. Um, well, Sunny sunny checking in. Um, yeah, I think I echo the same sentiment. I'm feeling really, really, um, I think really present. Uh, I was telling my partner yesterday, like, I haven't been feeling this good in a while. Um, it might be because gyms are open, things are open again. Like, you don't get that sort of, like, flatline mental health that you uh, sort of got during lockdown. So, um, <clears throat> been spending this weekend catching up with a lot of people and I think, like, for once in a, in a really long time, I'm, like, feeling really present with them um, as opposed to, like, thinking about the next thing or, or thinking about what's, what's planned for the day or having this sort of, like, mild burnout or, or fatigue in the background. So um, that has been really, really good. Um, caught up with Nathaniel <laughs> yesterday for a walk as well, and um, we were just chatting. And I think I've got, like, a, a deep sense of gratitude for, like, the work that we're doing with Bottled Up, and I think being in the position that I am... Um, I had a mate that um, sent me a couple of messages on Instagram um, following a breakup and um, just sharing his story and and, and what he's been through and I think um, yeah I think deeply grateful for actually having that opportunity to hold that space for others and and listen and I really enjoy that I've always enjoyed that like especially during high school and, and uni like um, being there for others, listening, sharing, storytelling. So, um, yeah, I'm like, I'm, I'm really, really happy for what the next couple of weeks might hold in terms of podcasting before I go on a break. So, um, keen to go all out, um, in, in that regard. And yeah, yeah, I, I, um, yeah, super optimistic, which has been really good. Yeah. That's sunny checked in. Um, <laughs> both of us are starting this, uh, conversation on a high, which is like going to be super awesome. Um, I do want to stop and say that this is proudly sponsored by the guys at Stuff. (laughs) I'm kidding. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) You had me there. I was like, oh, sick, nice. Stuff for your your pits. (laughs) Um, But no, um, dude, there's there's so many ways we can start this, but um, I think you hinted at it earlier, like the work that you guys are doing with the man cave. I thought that might be good just to start the context. Um, The work that you're doing there, um, how you fell into that role, because I think behind every, yeah, behind all all these different things like facilitation and, and you speaking to boys, there's a story within you as well. So quite keen to unpack that, but.
1: Yeah, cool. Okay. I'll try to keep this one brief. I feel like it has a tendency to really blow out when we talk about um, the origin stories of, of how anyone ends up the, at the man cave. But um, yeah, so how I ended up at the man cave. So and what is the Man Cave? Let's, let's start with that one. That's a good one. Okay, so the Man Cave is a, an emotional intelligence um, charity that focuses really on a preventative lens, working with boys at this point in the school system. Um, a, cu- a few key things that really underpin the way that we work is that um, prevention is better than cure. That's a really core one. Um, when you're working with boys who are 12 to 15 years old, you're kind of getting in just before things get really crazy with puberty or just on the cusp of that. And we see that, you know, during those periods, that's when a lot of things start to change. And so if you can get in and instill, Um, really positive kind of capabilities and mindsets within not only an individual boy but a whole culture within a class and more broadly within a year level and hopefully eventually within a school uh, you can create that level of um, kind of peer support and also internal resilience that is really needed in the kind of the world that not only young men are in right now but the one that we're all going to step into in the next 20 years Um, So that's a little bit about the man cave. (laughs) Um, I could talk about that for a long time. So hopefully I've touched on it there and and framed it up enough. Um, How (laughs) I found my way there, really briefly, I guess, um, I studied psychology and criminology at uni. And so I had kind of a connection to to psychology through there. Also had a lot of experiences when I was younger uh, in school that I'm sure we'll touch on, but that also gave me kind of a sense of, Um, there's something that I want to do here to um, have the experience of growing up be different to what mine was in terms of the way that I related to other boys in my school Um, and then also uh, yeah while I was at uni I started uh, working in marketing and building systems in in terms of the way that we uh approached, you know, marketing and I started an event management company, yada, yada. Basically, the combination of what I was studying and also my kind of quote unquote professional experience, if you could call it that at the time, um, kind of lined me up well to get a role at Man Cave as a communications manager. Mm. Um, and I worked there kind of rebranding the organization and, and doing up a new website uh, with uh, another kind of senior communications person. Um, and then naturally evolved from that into operations where I'm at now, which is operations management, which is essentially um, setting up the organization so that it can scale mm-hmm. nationally. Uh, currently, we're running in Victoria. We're expanding this year to New South Wales. And a lot of my work is about how can we build systems, infrastructure, and work smarter in any, op- you know, take any opportunity that we can to work smarter. And how can we build that into the way that we do things, um, not just reactively, but proactively? Um, and so, yeah, that's where I'm placed at the moment in Man Cave and I also facilitate mm. where I can. Um, I think it's really important when you're building systems for an organisation like that, that you actually deeply understand what it looks, feels like and feels like to be on the on the court, you know, on the front lines facilitating and actually delivering the work because mm. um, the last thing you want is to design something that's not, you know, usable for the people who are actually out there. So, um, yeah, and, and, you know, on top of that as well, representation is really important to me. Um, and yeah, I think there's just some unique, uh, part of my history that, um, is perhaps a a contribution that I can have in, in the squad and the diversity that we have within the squad. And also just my own experiences, just being able to pay forward, um, you know, what I've learned from what I've gone through to, you know, the next generation of, Mm. of boys and men is really important to me. Mm. I love that.
0: I, I, um, yeah, I, I think I connect really deeply with what the work you guys are doing. Um, we've had a couple of other man K facilitators and um, people from the squad come and join us. Uh, Himmel, Hesh, uh, Christian. Um, so I feel, <laughs> now you. So I feel like we're we're slowly uh, infiltrating the HQ. <laughs> Working towards that stuff, sponsorship. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but now you guys started in like 2014 or. Yeah, thereabouts. I remember, like, because mm. um, I used to help out Christian uh, with the Timekeeper, and um, he was one of the early employees, I think, or one of the early facilitators with Hunter and, and Co. And um, yeah, the way you guys have grown, like, I'm pretty excited um, for what's coming up. Um, but you hinted at it earlier um, your story that, that got you involved in video High School um, and, and what happened there. So thought that might be a good place to kick it off because um, I know that to have a lot of connection and and inquiry and and tap into the kids you kind of have to know yourself really well and I think that's what brings out the best in them uh, is by bringing the best out in yourself Um, yeah what was high school like Um, I think you you mentioned high school and yada 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 but I want to get into that yada so (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah what was high school like for you yeah
1: thanks man and like Before I hop into what high school was like for me, I'd also like to just invite the listener and and also, you know, you as well uh, and me to identify and and be present to the patterns uh, in my stories that I think recur throughout my life at different times in my life. I think something that's really common in all of us is that we have kind of either core narratives or stories or there are things that we do maybe reactively in the way that we're experiencing things to kind of address problems, solve problems, or just become a better person that also ripple throughout our life and can even create challenges Mm -hmm. down the track. So, um, I think that's something to, to look out for, um, in the Mm -hmm. stories that I guess we'll be telling today or I'll be telling today. Um, because yeah, it's something that I'm present to now with, with that hindsight. So, yeah, uh, high school for me. Um, I've had the opportunity to tell this story quite a few times now uh, to many different boys um, at to different extents as well. So I think I've had an opportunity to kind of process the emotion that's here and um, really speak right to the experience. So yeah, it was really, really challenging. Uh, my high school years, I was, at, you know, home environment, my home environment was quite complex um, and the school environment was even more complex, I would say. Um, I was, you know, in primary, kindergarten and primary school, I was at the same school, which was King David. It was a a Jewish independent school, um, which was in many ways sheltered from some of the realities of, um, you know, being someone who can be seen as an other, um, in Australia. And yeah, when I went into year seven, I got an opportunity to go to a private Anglican, uh, yeah, a private Anglican school or boys school. Um, it's a school that probably a lot of people would be familiar with, but I'm going to omit the name for their sake. <laughs> um, and yeah, I experienced a lot of just straight up anti um, going to that school and it was really quite challenging for me. Um, and yeah, that was like the first time that I, I you know, I, I distinctly remember mm. telling someone that I was Jewish for the first time at this school and then saying to me, Oh, yeah, no, I could already tell. And that was the mm-hmm. first time that I realized that, like, the way that I looked could be, uh, could identify me as someone who's different to other people, mm-hmm. which was quite interesting. Like, I just hadn't, I'd just grown up in a relatively, sheltered school environment and just didn't didn't really realize that that could happen Um, and then yeah like my my nickname going into that school was dj (laughs) and um boys as cunning as they are decided to turn that into dj like on day two or so of year seven Um, so it was very apparent to me how kind of different i was from or how othered i was from everyone else around me Um, So, yeah, it was a difficult experience for me for sure and I also have ownership and responsibility over my contributions to that. I could totally conceive of a world in which there was a Jewish kid at that school that everyone just got along with Mm. and liked and that they didn't choose to kind of have a go at. And so from a pretty young age I did hit a point which was definitely rock bottom for me and I kind of decided from that point onwards that... um, there was things that I could do to kind of change who I who I was and, and kind of grow that might lead in a direction in which people are choosing not to kind of pay mm-hmm. out on me because really what I got to was that uh, my Jewish identity was the vehicle that they were using to pay out on me but there was obviously a reason why they were doing it. And so I, I think I had a, a pretty pivotal moment in my life where I decided that I'd work on mm-hmm. that reason rather than, uh I guess be a victim of of the vehicle this itself is really well
0: articulated and I think it leads me into asking like this idea behind mask um, and you mentioned how there could have been this Jewish person or, or Jewish identity that people could get along with and so it meant that you had to sort of re-engineer yourself or, or um, think of yourself in a new light um for me mask has or masks have certainly I think played a really pivotal part in my life. Um, it's allowed me to, like, build solidarity and, like, build relationships with people, um, coming especially as, like, a, um, you know, from an Indian family. Um, I played football for 10 years growing up and um, I was the only Indian on the team. And so there were, you know, different elements of myself that I had to sort of re-engineer uh, or reinvent to get along with others. So um, did you feel the same as well? Like, um, you know, did you feel that you were consciously having to, change aspects of yourself to build that those relationships of solidarity with
1: others? Or um, was it even probably more subtle than that? That is, that is really, really interesting, man. And I actually haven't really directly gone through my story and, and looked at which parts were me putting on a mask and which parts were me taking off a mask. I think there's a really interesting nuance in that. Um, I think it's worth kind of bringing in briefly... Um, because it will unlock this idea of the mask in that halfway through year 10, I decided to actually leave um, the school that I was at at the time where I was experiencing a lot of that. And I think that comes with a key distinction, which is I think if I had stayed there and tried to change myself in order to better get along with people, which actually, to be fair, I definitely was doing, and it had very negative outcomes. And the reason why is because I was actually putting on just a different mask. Like I think all of us when we're young, we're wearing a mask because that's the way that we learn to interact with other people. And then as we grow up, we're going through this process of learning to take it off. And, you know, as we get older, we also value vulnerability and authenticity more than when we were younger. And so taking those masks off is actually seen as as a positive thing when we get older. But certainly when we're younger, um, we're all kind of wearing one because that's kind of just how things are. And certainly in the man cave what we're working on is from a younger age uh, letting people realise and understand that it's actually a great thing to be able to take it off and be seen for who you are. Mm-hmm. But to bring it back briefly, um, yeah, like I, I remember actually mimicking like other people in the playground because I was trying to figure out without fully realising what I was doing, like what were the things that I needed to do in order to be seen as part of the the group or to belong. And so th- there were really embarrassing things from like um, copying how other people used to laugh or styles of other people's jokes. Um, mm. I, I, I just remember almost searching for what is that thing. Um, and... It definitely was pretty cringe at some points and it definitely was improving (laughs) towards the end of my time there. But I also Mm. just recognized and it was actually when a a school psychologist who I was seeing at the time said to me, um, hey, like there's one kind of mold that comes out of this school and unfortunately you're just not that kind of person, Um, Mm. nor should you be. Um, And that, that really resonated with me because I mm. did feel myself being kind of pushed into this box. Uh, in some sense, as a man box, but also, uh, you know, a, a different box as well. There was levels of, um, you could say privilege, but also just a way of being, uh, you know, almost a philosophy mm. of what, how a, how a man should be, how a person should act and, mm. and what they should achieve and go for in life that I just didn't fully connect with. And that's not to say that it's, it's a strictly negative thing that comes out of that school environment because I do have some friends that are really amazing. It just wasn't for me. Um, and some friends that are really amazing from that school. Um, but it just wasn't, you know, it was abrasive to my, to my, really my spirit It is what it felt like when I was there. Uh, there was just this tension and friction that was rubbing against me in a pretty destructive way. And so taking off the masks, um... I moved schools halfway through year 10, as I mentioned before, and this time I also moved to a co-ed school, which I think was really, really beneficial for me too. And that was an opportunity for a tabula rasa or a blank slate where I had an opportunity to take off the masks that I was wearing and then have an opportunity to feel out who I was in a new environment. Mm. And... I think that's that key distinction in that it was actually taking off those masks and being able to leave those behind and then step into something new and start trying to feel it out and feel out who I was internally that led to you know progress Mm -hmm. in that regard damn and I think
0: it's really wise for the psychologist to have picked that up in you really young that um you were someone that was like very connected to your values in a way. Maybe you were quite lost at certain periods in your life, but you just knew that this wasn't the mold that you were working towards or or wanting to fit it within. A couple of questions come to my mind. Um, One is you've moved between different schools. Um, And so, you know, I I know a lot of people struggle with integration into different school environments. I have a close mate that came to uh, our school in like year uh, 10 um, and, really the, the people that he was around uh, for the first week or two weeks um, are his closest friends now. So um, it's funny how you hold on to some of those relationships you meet um, quite early on and how, how well they stick. So um, I want to talk about that, um, how you found that integration into the different school environments. Did you find people like yourself there and did you feel that you could connect um, or, or was it something else? And then the second thing, um, I guess yeah, just being in an uh, all boys uh, environment, um, how that played out. So
1: yeah cool so a brief bit of context I grew up with brothers who were 10 and 12 Mm. years older than me they were half brothers Mm. and if I wanted to participate in the familial conversations that we were having around the dinner table or you know in the lounge room I really had to talk up to the level of conversation that was being had in that environment and so naturally I just had an affinity towards that kind of conversation and relational space and so that was one of the main challenges that I had throughout my whole schooling journey was I really connected with people who were older and I found that like super easy to click into. And then people my age was like speaking a whole different language. <laughs> like it really was quite foreign to me. Yep. And so it really did take moving schools a few times to actually get that clicked in. Um, but speaking more directly to your question, man, moving halfway through year 10 is a really difficult time to move because You're literally the only new person. People rarely move halfway through a school year. And it's like later down the track where people have already established what their groups are, what are the dynamics between everyone. Um, It's very different to when I moved in year seven and everyone was kind of, half of the people there were fresh and everyone Mm. was finding their place. Mm. So that presented a really unique challenge in and of itself for that stage in life for me. But nonetheless, I had done it in year seven Mm-hmm. Um, and so I had a little bit of experience or at least an understanding of what I was in for in some regards. But that school was a co-ed school that I moved to. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was like a world of difference for me because I had been in a co-ed school from kindergarten through to year six mm-hmm. and then I went to all boys, completely different dynamic across those two environments, and then went back to co-ed. And I remember that being just somewhere where it just really clicked with me. You know, the, I, I found a close friendship group of about four people mm. and that were like really tight-knit, four or five people, and there was like a 50-50 split um, between, between gender. Um, and that just really clicked with me. Um, I, I definitely remember when I was younger just like having – my mum's a psychologist, so mm. we would always have really great, deep, insightful conversations and I was just, you know, I had a connection to, you know, the feminine energy, I guess you could say in some sense, um, conversationally, uh, insightfully, uh, retrospectively, reflectiveness, like that style of conversation really resonated with me and that's definitely something that I was able to find um, through the, the group that I found when I moved schools in halfway through year 10. Um and I fully intended to be at that school like right through to till the end. Mm. Um, I moved to that school because and and this was part of why i didn't fit that previous mold was that I was a really deeply creative individual
0: mm.
1: um, and that 's me speaking to the younger version of myself, which is like something that I found as a, a life raft through the times that I was enduring uh, when I was at that that previous school from seven through to halfway through year ten was art and creativity and I would draw to express what I was feeling like and I've actually looked back on some of those drawings and they're (laughs) raw man like they're really really raw you can you can you can sense it I used to take a Chinese class and I would we'd have these booklets that were like a grid ruled so they were like squares Mm. and I would use the squares to draw little pictures in them and there were, yeah, just looking back through those, those notebooks, like there's just so many little squares there where I'm just like, Oh, like this, this little version of myself is really struggling here Mm. and just enduring it. Um, so through that though, I found this healthy expression and this, this channeling. And I knew right then and there that in year 12, what I, you know, a big part of what I wanted to do was studio arts and drawing. And I was very connected to that. Mm. Um, and so, I actually moved to this other school because it was known as this artsy creative school that was really great for that area. And um, I was like, awesome, like that's what I'm going to go with. Um, And then, yeah, I actually did an interview um, a few months later for a school called Melbourne High School Mm -hmm. and this is actually a school that both my brothers went to as well Mm -hmm. and they offered me a position there (laughs) and I was like, oh, Going into VCE, this is probably a really great opportunity. Mm. Um, and, you know, the academic opportunity was actually the reason why I left my primary school as well. So you can already see a bit of a pattern forming mm. there. But I decided to to go for it and follow that path and also connect to, in some sense, ancestry in my brother's being there, you know, mm. 10 and 12 years before me, which at that time in your life is like an entire lifetime mm. when you're like 15 <laughs> yeah. years old or 16 or however old I was. So, um, Yeah uh mm. no, I,
0: I, like I know there's like um a lot of pe- a lot of the people that I went to university with um all um like you know ex old boys um all up the high um kind of boys, and I think what's really good is like a lot of them stick together as friends um especially in uni like I really admire that about the people that come from Melbourne high and um a lot of the other schools as well like they stick um really close together um but um, I guess this is probably not directed to Melbourne High in, in general, but probably just single-sex schools or all-boys schools uh, in general. Like, And I know you're doing a lot of work with all boys uh, or with boys in general. Um, how how did you find the integration into that environment? Because you often hear a lot of things around like hyper-masculinity. Um, there's a lot of toxicness. There's a, there's a lot of other things. But there's also really positive things that are there as well. Um, how How was that for you? Um, you know, obviously you mentioned how you found this tight bunch of five people. There was a 50, 50 split between, um, mixed genders and obviously taking that switch into a single sex environment. What was that like? Cause I've never experienced that. I've always grown up in a co ed environment. So, um, I, yeah, like I can't, can't exactly relate to it. So I'm quite keen just to know, like, how was that for you? Um, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, by this stage in my life, I was pretty hardened as an individual. Mm. I'd moved schools, you know, two, three times before that. And I'd also been enduring a lot in my home life. Mm. And so by all means, I was a pretty, you know, I was pretty solid in my mindset and also my resilience, I would mm. say. Mm. And moving into that new school, I was really com- like comfortable is not even the right word. I was like, maybe confident but i think maybe also like there was there was this idea of almost like i was consoled or i found solace in the lone wolf archetype mm-hmm. you know i had i had been comfortable in being able to see myself for who i was as an individual i really had a deep understanding at this point of like who I wanted to be and the kind of person that I was at my core, because when you strip off masks three or four times mm. in a row going through school and you 're starting back from scratch, you actually find more parts of yourself um, along along the way in that journey and so moving into that last school, I had a pretty solid idea of like the kind of person that I was, and so moving into that environment, I remember being like a very much a lone wolf inv- individual in the way that I held myself in the way that I was connected to art Mm. and creativity in a very rigorously academic environment that was very analytically and mathematically Mm. orientated. Um, So there was already a sense of kind of separation there that I was comfortable in and that I was connected to. And so I think there was a, although I didn't like fully gel with the people there, in the sense that I had this one group that I belonged to, there was definitely people I connected with and got along with mm. and some friendships that I still have from that environment and that I would say that I was kind of it, what it felt like is there was a mutual respect for just the place and space that I held within mm. myself and within that broader community um, in that, you know, I was just off doing my own thing but also, you know, um, invited along to opportunities to socialise mm. and connect um, along the way. So it was that kind of, I guess, appropriate balance for from where mm. I started uh, to where I ended in the sense that I don't think I was going to find a place that I just fully, you know, a group that I fully belonged mm. to at that age because of reasons that I've mentioned before around, you know, connecting with older people and things like that. But I did find a level of comfortability and solace in um, going, mm. at, going at it alone at that, it at that time. It's sounds like
0: um, trial and error has been like a, a, a big piece along that puzzle for you because um, you've had to constantly have to like adapt. Um, um, yeah, I guess like adapt and, and, and be comfortable in the environment that you're throwing at. So um, I know for me, like um, going through high school, I wasn't able to process a lot of my emotions. Um, it was very under the surface. Like I, I experienced sadness. I experienced happiness. Like I definitely experienced uh, those things, but I probably didn't have the language to articulate myself in the right way. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm quite keen. So now, you know, when year 11, year 12. Um, you're at Melbourne High, and you're probably coming up and, and becoming a lot more wiser as the years are going along. How did a lot of the stuff that you mentioned earlier around bullying, um, about having to switch schools multiple times, how did that sort of manifest itself in the years to come? Um, you know, we talked about earlier, like, social anxiety in a particular way. Um, yeah, like, I guess yeah, once we get wiser, we're able to like articulate those things that have happened to us and, and how that's um, come across in other areas in our life. So quite keen to know, like, how did that work out for you? Um, how did that manifest itself? And um, how did you go about dealing with it all?
1: With it all? Mm, mm. I love that word that you mentioned earlier, man, adaptation. Mm. I think that's that's something that I really resonate to resonate with. And I think it's the and what, what we were saying at the start of, of the storytelling, but, you know, prior to, to the storytelling, we mentioned, like, that there are things that we do to adapt mm. to our circumstances that can create challenge for challenges for us later on in life. And um, I'm sure that will come out in kind of the following mm. parts after this next one. But I just wanted to signpost mm. that because I thought that was really cool. Um, and, yeah, so adaptation... Um, after experiencing the bullying that i experienced and kind of the level of that i was ostracized at there was definitely like a socially anxious part of my being that kind of spawned mm. out of that and how i could describe it to people who haven't experienced social anxiety before is it's like you you subdivide your brain into two different components and it's one component is like you just trying to be yourself doing a your thing and then the other component is looking at yourself in third person and trying to analyze if there's any threats or like people are going to like call you out on something or have a go at you. So it's almost like you're splitting off a version of yourself that is the embodiment of that bully or that person that was criticizing you or a group of people that were criticizing you. And that's manifesting as like an ancillary ancillary mm. part to your brain and or your being. And that's just along with mm. you for the ride everywhere. And it's trying to, you know, mm. it's working on your team, but mm. it's not helpful, if that makes sense, because it's trying to point out where you might make mistakes. And the reality is that when you reintegrate yourself back together, that's when you're mm. gonna stop making mistakes. It's the fact that you're spending half you know, 50% of your processing power on not mm. being yourself and like trying to critique yourself that. that actually leads to a lot, of the, a lot of the clunkiness that creates that self-perpetuating mm. uh, feedback loop. So social anxiety was what I was experiencing and uh, my approach in reflection to it, the way that I approached it um, is apparent, but at the time it kind of I was kind of just following my intuition and what felt right was when I graduated um, and finished at Melbourne High, I went to a university and ended up studying psych and crim as, as we know. And that university, I was like, yes, all right, this is the one that I want to go to because I'm going to be able to connect with really like-minded people and like find some sense of community there. Um, and I definitely did like that. Those were absolutely banging years. And it was like a complete 180 from what I had experienced socially um, in, in years previous to that. And Uh, in that process I found uh, music and I found dancing and I found the combination of those two which is so sacred to um, the way that I approach life these days which is like being out in an environment in a dance floor and channeling you know creative energy to both dance and also perform musically Um, and I'm specifically referring to kind of like the electronic styles of dance music and yeah, like I found that environment and that was very kind of like, it was kind of like being held by this cushion of, of creative energy and release um, that I stepped into after this pretty hectic incubator of like hardship, I guess you could call it. Um, And like to put that in perspective, like, I know you mentioned earlier about, you know, not connecting to your emotions throughout those high school years, like, when I was, like, in – I remember being in, like, year two, I would, like, cry for, like, falling over. Like, I was a really sensitive person, really mm. empathetic, really connected to just the world around me and um, also, you know, pretty gentle in, the, in my being. And then from mm. year seven up until second, third year of uni maybe, like, I didn't cry once. It was physically impossible for mm. me. Like, I would feel like crying at some times, but the, the tears just wouldn't come out of my eyes so that's how that's mm. how like hardened my my being had become from the experiences that I had, not just at school but also through the challenges that I was having at home and and various other environments as well mm. and there was just this really profoundly cathartic release that I found in you know what you could call the scene or the dance music scene mm. and more specifically, something that I did was i there was a specific nightclub that I was um kind of Really close to physically, like I was ten minute. I was a ten minute walk away from it. It (laughs) It's got quite an infamous uh, reputation. It's it's called Revolver, (laughs) um, for those of you listening, Um, and for those of you who have been there, you actually know that there's a massive, massive smokers um, in that area. And I wasn't, you know, really a a person that was too into smoking um, in that way, but I did, you know. Have an opportunity there to really have conversations with and connect with other people who I would just never, ever, ever come across at any other point in my life. Uh, There was just, you just, you would never meet these people in any other context. And it's very unlikely that you're going to meet them again apart from in that same context. And with that comes a marvelous opportunity. Um, And it's kind of like that tabula rasa approach of like blank slate because you're meeting someone for the first time. Um but it's it's set to end end level, right? because you're yeah. meeting hundreds of people right over mm. over over you know a period of time. <laughs> so I would just strike up conversations with people and connect with them and really explore just different aspects of myself through different types of conversations and in mm. that process I learned more about myself what felt right what felt didn't you know what felt out of alignment mm. when I said it you know what I really resonated with even you know releasing parts of my humor that had just been you know locked in a cage because it didn't mm. feel safe to just express myself mm. in the kind of you know really outwardly eccentric kind of way that I enjoy being humorous and so I just connected back in with all of those parts of myself and it was this really emancipating um time in my life connecting to that um and that is actually how I let go of the socially anxious part of my being that 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 50% split of my brain um through you know essentially exposure therapy um looking back on it now um, just allowing myself to feel that I could be safe connecting with people without having this other part of my brain, like in the steering, you know, co co steering, essentially, it's like having mm. someone in the passenger seat, also trying mm. to yank on the steering wheel while you're trying to do it. Like mm. that part of my brain finally got used to the fact that, you know, things would be okay if, if it wasn't holding onto the steering wheel as well.
0: Mm. Um, Amen. I love that. (laughs) I know Revs has a... uh, I haven't been there, but I've (laughs) heard a lot of different stories um, and sticky floors and uh, (laughs) all the other uh, glamorous things. But um, were there any moments of connection you still remember that you had at Revs? Like any sort of moments where where you're just like, yeah, I feel at home. Like this is a conversation I'm really, really enjoying. I'm seeing parts of myself flourish because... You mentioned you would have gone to Revs a couple of times. Um, and so, you know, probably each of those times that you did go, you felt more motivated to go again and, and you saw there was an incentive for yourself to learn and grow and develop. Um, so, yeah, were there any like really cool moments where you, <laughs> you met some really great people and,
1: and had awesome chats? Oh, man, there's hundreds. But I'll, I'll like, you know, here's a standout. Um, so, <laughs> my mate, my mate Andy, and I were in the smokers at Revolver. Andy is actually, funnily enough, someone who I I went to um, school with from Mm. years seven through to ten and a half during that really hard time, but we never spoke to each other once. And we actually reconnected with each other um, when we went to university and found ourselves on the same kind of student committee there. Yeah. And we we just connected, <laughs> and then we started going to Revolver together. So so much of this journey and growth has been um, experienced mm. with 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 Andy or Andrew. Shout out to um, Andy. <laughs> yeah, I just I just want to um, let him know how much of an impact he's had on me, and mm. yeah, how amazing it was having him along on this journey as well. As really an anchor point um, for my first experience of just connecting with people in a really non threatening way. So. Mm. Really want to shout out Andy for that. But we were in, Andy and I were in the Revolver Smokers and um, we came across this person who had a bit of a groove going. And what I mean by a groove is we could see that there was these people like kind of huddled around him just like bopping their heads and stuff. And we were like, (laughs) that's kind of funny because the music is definitely upstairs and there's no music down here. So Mm. what's going on here? (laughs) And we walked up to this group and then like popped our heads in and – it turned out to be this guy called Caleb who mm. was beatboxing and was uh, absolutely thrown down. Like Caleb had some serious steez to the way that he threw together his <laughs> rhythms and everyone was just like getting to it and just like having a sick time just like getting around um, him and his absolute element. And nice. um, I just remember, you know, for a good year, I would say, just consistently seeing and catching up with Caleb and his other mate Jake, Mm-hmm. Um, and just like seeing them in this environment and beatboxing and me beatboxing with them and just like really expressing creatively and, and just getting, you know, just having fun with each other, really. Um, like that was a total highlight for me and, and a relationship that has uh, that really carried out throughout all of that time that I spent there, mm. um, but that was definitely the first time that that we met. <laughs> that we met him in that. Yeah, it was just so great. Shout out to Caleb. <laughs> Shout out to Caleb as well. Um, and look, another another point that I'll that I'll briefly just touch on is, um, like, and and I think this is relevant to the patterns that we're talking about as well because they can be that you know they're so neutral, they're positive, they're negative, they're anything. But um, you know, I found DJing and performance. Um, which is like, I, fir- at first I was dancing to the music and then I was like, you know, I've always been curious about DJing because of my nickname yep. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I always felt a connection to it from a young age and decided that I actually start having handed it and giving it a go. And, um, you know, going and, and dancing at Revolver turned into me actually having a residency there and playing there for a couple years. Um, and yeah, it was this really incredible catharsis of like really creating an experience for other people in which it's it's really an altered state of consciousness when you're sharing a dance floor with someone uh, or, or or a crowd and a group of people and you're creating a relationship between you know where you're how you're feeling internally um, you're expressing that through your music people are resonating with it in you know internally and then expressing it through dance and then. That dance is then feeding back into how you're feeling, and it creates this marvelous interactive feedback loop of this really integrated kind of creative space um, that really feels like an altered state of consciousness in and of itself. Um, and that there's a lot of healing that that can be that can be done there in those kind of spaces, and that's certainly been the case for me. Um, and what spawned you know the deepest sense of community that I've had in my life, which was um, Equinox, which is a whole, a whole thing to talk about, but, you know, it's a community of people that started from a house party that I ran and has grown into, you know, a really amazing collective of people. And, you know, at this point in time we've worked with, or, or, you know, had shows with over about 20,000 people now. Um, I love that. Yeah. And that's just been, you know, (laughs) if you look at that arc, that, that character arc in some senses, Mm. like that sense of belonging was found through creativity at the end. And it was kind of fostered originally through, you know, survival and expression uh, from from that younger age, from those drawings that I drew on those grid pages. Um, it's really interesting how these things kind of extrapolate and, and ripple throughout
0: mm. a lifetime. I love that. There's, um, I feel like for those listening, you would have got like a really vivid imagination. I certainly <laughs> would be listening to you, like bobbing my head and thinking about sort of the, the body being in flow. Um, one of you you read my mind i was just writing it down just a couple of moments ago like this sense of community that you had because it seems like one of the biggest like thematic things that i see in your story um linking it all together is this sense of community and a sense of belonging and they often say like one of the biggest uh indicators of positive mental health is a sense of belonging both within yourself and within the community that you're in um and i know that people find community in many different ways um ujwal man some of the other guys that uh, do bottled up like they find a sense of community in the cricket clubs that they're in and so yeah like you touched on this a moment ago but i kind of want to dig deeper because i think it's a really important topic but um how has community played out um in your life and um have there been moments that you've been really deeply grateful for the communities that you've built um cuz i think you can for you like I, I I personally think that communities are consciously created. You you design them. They don't just magically fall in your lap. Um, you you have a passion. You have an idea. You have a purpose. And there's a community built around that. Um, you can create. You can co-create that. You can create that. You can be in other um, environments where it's already being created. But how has community played a role in your
1: life? Uh, I, I think there's some cool stuff that we can that we can pull out of that as well. Um, so yeah i'm first of all i 'm really really present to ripples or fractals, which is like patterns that you know repeat themselves at all these different scales um, and that 's in reference to community and, and community building and um, how that can happen both intentionally but also organically and what I mean by that is <laughs> um, and I think it' will become clear as I start to describe it as I met people in these smokers of various clubs and whatnot. I don't. I, I feel like the the word smokers gives it a bad rap, but let's just say like an outdoor meeting yep. space uh, that's that's attached to a club. <laughs> let's go with that. Um, that's associated with a whole lot of um, great times as well, um, and just a, a sense of connection un- underlying all of it. Um, so as I met these really amazing people, and literally all of the people in this community, I've pretty much met through. Um, being out and, and actually just connecting to them through a shared passion and interest in music um, and conversation as well. And as I would meet these really curious, interesting, fascinating people, um, I would seek opportunities to connect them with each other. And that's what that first Equinox house party was for me. Um, it was being able to invite all of these really amazing people that I had met out to meet each other and connect with each other um, in a shared space. And so we we went and we did this house party and I also had a bunch of people on SoundCloud that I'd followed, (laughs) like these other DJs that I had never met before, but I loved their music and I just sent them a message and they were around our age as well. And I was just like, hey, hey, how's it going? Like Mm. I love what you do and I'd love you to like do your thing at this house party. Like there's going to be some really cool people there and um, I just love you to be a part of it. And so they came and we played and it was just, like, really lovely. Like, just really, really authentic, beautiful people who I, I, I had a strong feeling that they weren't themselves tied up in their own masks. Like, there was just a level of genuine authenticity in all of these people and just this kind of deep appreciation for the well-being of others and, and a desire to connect that I sensed within all of these people and um that's what really made for an environment that was really complementary like one person would meet another and there was just an instant appreciation and connection because we all had these shared fundamental interests and values I guess you could say as well um, and so yeah, this like that house party. When I told my mom about it and I wanted to run another one because I wanted to run <laughs> another one, I should say, um, she was just like, absolutely freaking not, <laughs> no way, uh, and particularly because I was intending to increase the scale somewhat mm. because I did have this vision. You know, I was I was playing music at the time and I did have this vision of of you know at one day this this much more you know, brought up scale of, of production Mm. and lighting and experience combined with music Mm. and performance and people and community. And I was like, (laughs) okay, how can we get there? Uh, Nice. And so we moved it to a bar (laughs) and uh, this bar was called Carpe Diem off commercial road. We did it in the back of Carpe Diem. (laughs) We had about 90 people there. And um, I remember the guy being absolutely livid because (laughs) of the levels that the bass was at. And like the way that was reverberating through the neighboring kind of like uh, buildings but we had the best time ever and (laughs) a similar story like, Hey, there was way too many people here. Mm. You definitely cannot do this again here, but like you find somewhere else because I loved your energy. I loved your vibe. Like it Mm. was just such a great time. I, you know, I wish this was a space in which we could do this much more often. And then, yeah, we, Mm. we did it in a nightclub, um, for the first Mm. time, it felt like a house party in a nightclub because we just had the whole club to ourselves Mm. and it was just like a mind-blowing experience. This time there was about 150, 200 people there and we were all like one step removed from each other and super connected and it's like, yeah, just if people can hold in their head what it would feel Mm. like to have a house party at a nightclub and the level of safety and security that everyone feels there because there's some kind of mutual... Um, kind of connection that people have due to the people that they that they are invited by or that you know they're connected to, and oh, it was just it was just so special. Um, and this was in 2017, and uh, yeah, look, things have just grown from there, and the, the community has evolved, and you know, definitely been challenged as well due to times of COVID and restrictions and all of these different things. But um, I think what's endured it through it all is the way that being connected to such a loving community has impacted each individual like i have no doubt that each individual has kind of you know where, wherever they're at whether they're you know still in melbourne and, and really deeply involved with the community or in other places or other crews and groups like i think we all have gotten a sense of what a really loving and supportive group of people can mm-hmm. feel like
0: man i um, as you were sharing that i i have to connect you with one of my mates who is a guy called Samir who um, loves DJing. Uh, He went to um, Copenhagen to do his exchange as well and bought his like decks there as as well. So he he loves like, um, I guess like being the host, holding the DJ, getting the community together. And I think like what I see in yourself and what I see in him, like um, that's really similar is this sense of bringing people together and, um, actually getting a sense of joy from seeing other people having joy. Like it's not just about yourself, like, you know, riding the high. It's about the people around you. Um, also like feeling so connected to the music, to the bass, um, to the people that you're around. Like, yeah, I, I have to connect you guys. Like he's, uh, he's, um, yeah, he's got a couple of things on SoundCloud as well, um, which are nice. Um, yeah, so dude, like um, I feel like one of the things that's been coming out throughout your story is immersing yourself into a lot of creativity. Um, I know for me, the things that I'm super passionate about in life—community um, building, um, I don't know, fitness, um, socializing, having these deep connections—I I sometimes struggle to find the line, and I sort of throw myself into it a lot. Like it's like you're you're loving you're loving it so much that you can't see the line, um, but you're, you're on such a high, but then it kind of hits you down the track where, whether you call it like, um, empathy fatigue, whether you call it like recharging your batteries, your social battery, your professional battery, all these different things, these exist and they're sort of like intangible, like sort of, you can't see it, but it is there. Um, I, yeah, like I'm, I'm curious as to how you've been able to find that balance in what you're doing. Cause, um, you know, you come across as someone who's so enthusiastic, so energetic, so, um, purpose-driven with what you're doing that um, yeah like I think there's something inspiring in that but how do you go about creating that balance Um, yeah because I I imagine it must be so easy to throw yourself you know 110% into this day in day out throw that party that mum stopped you with (laughs) um, that you kind of forget yeah to sort of inquire and tap into yourself so
1: yeah awesome man yeah let's do it um, so briefly, something that came up for me uh, when you said "find the line" is also perfectionism, um, and so I'd love to touch on that a little bit later mm-hmm. as well because I think it all layers into this idea of balance and burnout and performance and all these kind of things. But um, let's let's keep keep going in that um, yeah, yeah. in that let's balanced direction, and I'm sure <laughs> we'll access perfectionism as well through that. So um, the key that has really um, unlocked the pathway to understanding how to balance myself is time. Um, And like the way, the reason why I said it as, as you know, the pathway rather than like the solution is because it's not something that can be solved. I I don't believe it to be something that uh, can be solved. So the reason why um, I kind of construed it in that way in that it's a path is because I don't think that there is a solution to balance I don't think it's like a a one and done kind of like you've found the balance and like this is the formula and you're sorted. Um, I think it's actually a mindset and an approach to responding to how we're feeling internally and also like holding that in balance with what we're seeking to create externally. Um, And what I mean by create externally, you could construe that as achievement, but you could also talk to that in terms of purpose. You know, there's various ways that you can think about external um, versus internal. And so for me, the, the core kind of component there is time. And what I mean by that is it's like, first of all, understanding and appreciating that like, although this might not be the case always, there is so much more time than we think there is ahead of us. Mm. Like when we think about our, our seconds, our minutes, our hours, our days, on that scale, you know, really the scale that we can attach ourselves to most realistically when we think of the present, like there is so much presence ahead of us, so much. And it's like when we're thinking about trying to do everything now, we're not really appreciating just how much time that we're going to have ahead of us within the next weeks, within the next months, with even the next years to be able to get onto those things. Mm -hmm. So something that I've really, you know, connected to within myself, and this isn't a hard and fast number, but it's like a rough thing for me is like, there are about five to eight things that I can hold in my focus within a given week, five to eight things. And that's thinking about eating healthily and exercising, you know, as one or two of them even, you know, committing to work, um, committing to friends and relationships, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like you can, you can add on the other things that you want to focus on. It might be rock climbing, you know, as another one, as a hobby. It might be DJing and creating music. It might be working on Equinox. It might, might be working on Sanctum Creative, which is, again, my DJing but also artwork and stuff. You know, it could be doing some freelancing stuff as well for, you know, building systems for other NFPs. Like there's so many things that we can all do, right? global shape is another one for instance right there's just so many things that we can all do Mm. we're never going to be able to hold all of them in our week at the same time like it's just not enough of a time scale to be able to realistically balance all of those things together so for me it's about thinking about okay what are the things that i want to hold in my Mm. focus over this next week Mm. and then completely accepting all the way down to and then Mm. back up again to our purpose so it's like accepting into ourself and understanding and removing guilt and all of that kind of stuff away from not doing certain things and then relating that back up to the purpose in the sense of okay these things that I I I feel connected to that I have a sense of purpose with Mm. it's okay to let those things wait for now and when you create that connection from bottom to top this is at least what I've found recently like in, in being able to just let go of having to do all of the things all the time and just being able to do a few of those things, it really like makes things a bit more, it reduces that internal resistance because I think the thing that is actually depreciating energetically uh, about balance and burnout Mm -hmm. is guilt and expectations that we have on ourselves. And so it's like, if we can actually be able to let go of some of those expectations and then the guilt that we Mm. attach to that, we can then create that balance and also accept that we just can't do everything. Like as simple as that sounds, it's so hard to accept, at least for someone like me, Mm. probably someone like Mm. you as well. Like it's just (laughs) difficult to accept that.
0: It's hard. You've you've touched on like a topic of like, like an area of interest for me, which is always like productivity performance, bringing out the best in ourselves. And I think that's because both of us probably care a lot about personal development and being the best that we can. Like we're given one lifetime to really go all out and and enjoy all the wonderful emotions that we do, but also like do ourselves justice and and bring out the best in ourselves. At least I feel that. I feel like, um, you know, (laughs) when I'm 80, when I'm 70, 80, whatever it might be, I want to be looking back at my life and being like in 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 one lens like I have felt all the emotions I've lived a very like happy and, and fulfilled life. But on the other end, like I've kind of left it all in the, like, you know, like the tank's empty in that sense, like the tank's still there. Cause I, I still want to be enjoying my eighties and, and whatever it might be, but um, I've given it my all. I've stepped out of my comfort zone for you. How have you been able to consciously design um, those habits or those systems in your life um, to, I guess, move away from perfectionism um, or, or I guess not fall into that state of burnout again. Um, cause I know for me, at least there's a lot of guilt. I feel sometimes, um, I used to be really big into to-do list and I, and I still think I am, but I think now I'm trying to shift the focus away from just having like a long list of things to, um, designing like one highlight of the day. Like for me, the highlight for today was this conversation. So I'm able to walk away from this conversation and be like, this was the highlight out of my day. I've achieved that. Whatever I do today is just like a small win on top of that. Um, and so, curious as to um, yeah, how you've been consciously designing that in in your own life.
1: Yeah, cool man. Like, okay, so there's like probably three or four different directions that we can take this one, yeah. and hopefully, <laughs> yeah. hopefully, I can touch on a few of them. You, you're doing um, you're doing well. I ask I ask a lot of loaded questions. No, I, I, <laughs> I'm with it. Like, and I'm here for it. Like these these yeah. I love nice. speaking to these. So. Yeah, I'm going to – look, I'll briefly just touch on uh, one, one point before hopping into yep. these, which is just like um, – and, and this relates to design and lifestyle design and things like that, which is that um, this, this one's been so key for me and that's why I'd love to share it, which is just that mm. when we're thinking about rest time – so this is the time that is intentionally unproductive – by nature right Mm -hmm. and we have Mm -hmm. to make that distinction we have our productive time and then we have the recharge time and the rest time and like there's other things there you know other Mm -hmm. times as well but like we have to make a clear distinction so the first one is like not trying to trick yourself into being productive in the rest Mm -hmm. activities that you do is one of them but then the other one is not having a hierarchy of what is time well spent and time not well spent when you're trying to rest Mm -hmm. That's spot on because that's that freaking thing that hierarchy <laughs> of like am i spending my rest time well is a performance mindset right by nature and when we're taking that mindset into our rest we're just creating it as again a level like another level of performance mm. and that is how i have in the past hit burnout is because when when you're just constantly on in that state of am I optimising X? Am I spending mm. my time the best I can? All of that crap essentially. It's the best
0: return on investment for me like this exactly,
1: time. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. All of that is like completely the antithesis of the point of rest and recharge mm. and and actually like decompression. Mate, you're bloody spot on. <laughs> yeah, so I just wanted to like drop that one in there because honestly it's made these lockdowns and things like that so much more um, – kind of just balanced for me. I guess is the way mm. to put it. Particularly because it's so easy to just work a million hours in a day mm. when working from home. Um like that's been really critical and like finding ways to to represent that and do that for instance, you know, when I was younger I really liked playing video games. Recently, Mm -hmm. I was just having a bit of a foray into like some single-player solo um, story video games like (laughs) Horizon Zero Dawn, for instance, right? I was like, okay, I'm just going to pick this up as a very intentional Mm -hmm. recharge time during lockdown because um, I just want to create some space for that. And here's, here's a key thing physiologically. I have my whole setup that's fantastic, working from home, my keyboard, my mouse, my desk, everything's great. I intentionally ordered Mm. a controller online that can connect to my computer, which I was running this game from, so that I could hold something that physically represented to me that I wasn't being productive right now, that I wasn't sitting at my desk in that productive mindset and zone, that I was physically attaching myself to the idea of relaxation. So like however we can take that as an analogy or metaphor for the way that we can approach relaxation time and creating really distinctive barriers Mm -hmm. and boundaries to that, like, I I encourage because it's definitely made a big difference for me. (laughs) And even on that point, like, I'm definitely worse Mm -hmm. at the game when I'm playing with a controller, but that's, again, a performance mindset. Mm -hmm. And so it's, like, really connecting to the intention of what that time is, and that's why the controller made sense for Mm -hmm. me there. It's almost like you're creating association
0: and, and like, these mental cues Um, to sort of switch on and switch off. I always found this really, really bad relationship with social media. Um, and like we did a bottled up episode on like checking in, um, probably like a couple of months ago and my screen time on some of those days, and we talked about the screen time for a little bit was six or seven hours. Um, which was like, I don't even consciously remember (laughs) spending six or seven hours on my phone. Um, and whether that was time spent on Spotify or, uh, text or, um, on Google, on Facebook, on Insta, um, I like, there was so much guilt in that, um, and now like I'm probably tracking about four, four and a half hours now, um, but I'm starting to feel like this, this sensation or, or this feeling of I need to change this. Like I'm, I'm getting like, you know, you know when you eat like a lot of meat and you just feel sick at a certain point or, or whatever. Like yeah. you eat a lot of junk food, you just feel sick, and then you're kind of off it for some time because you're just like. Um, I can't do that again for, for and I'm starting to fill that with social media. Like I'm getting to that point where I'm just like, I can't continue to do this. And I think one of the things that worries me is that, um, and we're probably diverging away from like, um, specifically mental health, but um, there hasn't been any longitude studies being done on like social media and tech. Like it's only really kicked off in the last like, uh, iPhone 8 uh, iPhone 3 sorry when did that come out maybe 2008 or so or late late um, that first decade of the 2000 so um, it'll be really interesting to see what comes out in the next like <clears throat> 20 or 30 years in terms of like us humans we can't believe we spent like you know <laughs> 8 hours a day on social media and like what actually comes out of that in terms of like um, uh, yeah insights and I know you spoke about this as well like um, the dopamine matrix which I found really fascinating and um, And that might be a part two (laughs) for us, but um, yeah, what's your relationship been like with social media? Um, Because I know you've like, when we spoke, you had quite a bespoke approach to it. Um, And I think that, yeah, that'd be really insightful for people listening.
1: Nice, man. So look, I'll try and bring together a few threads here because I'm seeing a link to mental health and the bigger picture and designing life and all of that uh, Mm. together in this question. So high level, we have this idea of like designing our lives. And in this idea of designing our lives, let's think of it in the sense of what is the lifestyle that we want to be living? What What would a great week look like for us? In fact, what would a perfect week look like for us in our ideal future vision state, right? And if we think about what that might look like, for me personally, like social media doesn't play a huge role in that. And Mm. I like to think of this in terms of an ideal state and vision because I know and and I'm relating that to my mental health as well. I'm like I'm going to emotionally, spiritually, performance-wise, et cetera, et cetera, all of the different domains of life, like this is I'm I'm projecting my values into this ideal future state, right? Mm. And then from there I'm working backwards and then seeing Mm. where I'm at now and then what, what it would take to get there. And so for me, for instance, social media plays a very small role, if anything, in that ideal future state, you know, down the track vision side of things. And a key distinction that I want to make there, man, and, and something that I want to point out to you from a really great podcast that I listened to recently um, by the guy who did, there's a guy who uh, wrote a book called Essentialism, And then there's another guy called Cal Newport who did deep work and deep life. Yeah, I love it. They did a podcast together and there's a really great insight that came out of it for me, which was when we're trying to, you know, get off social media, let's say, because we have that ideal future state that we want to be in, that ideal lifestyle, lifestyle and it's not a part of it or a very small part of it, we can't be motivated from a negative feeling internally. It's not – we don't have enough strength within our being literally because of the hold of the the chemical dynamics of dopamine and circuitry and reward circuitry that we're stuck in due to social media. Just feeling yucky about it and guilty about it isn't enough for us to be able to change that habit, Mm. that relationship to the technology unfortunately it's so powerful and strong and it's so deeply wired into our brain like these reward-based systems have been existing in us since like monkeys and before like Mm. there's nothing that we can do in terms of the way that we feel guilty about something to have an effect on that the way that we can actually get ourselves out of that is by looking at that ideal future state and vision as a sense of purpose and and a direction and then working ourselves towards that in a positive framing so it's like I'm changing this for that. you know. I'm changing the way that I'm consuming social media for the vision that I have of the way that I want to live my life. And so um, that allows us, and again, that's from the Essentialism and Cal Newport uh, conversation, mm-hmm. that key insight I think is what allows us to be able to actually implement long-term behaviour change with this stuff as opposed to short-term kind of treatments versus cures. And Mm. like in the dopamine matrix, which was a podcast that I did, you know, in early 2020, I do speak about something called a dopamine detox. And it's like Mm. all the rage these days as well. Like it's really been blowing up across things. And I actually don't think that that's the answer anymore. Um, Mm. I see that as a treatment and not a cure Um, because a a dopamine detox – can definitely work to reset us and get us mm. prepped for the direction that we want to head in. But we need that direction to head in. Otherwise, mm. we're just kind of going to, like, over time, fall back into the previous state that we were in. Mm.
0: Yeah. I like that. I know um, I'm a big fan of Cal Newport. Uh, I was listening to one of his podcasts as well, um, where he talks about, because he, he's. I don't think he's a big fan of how social media has been consumed and, and mm. disseminated. He has uh, no social inf- media, funnily enough. Yeah, yeah, and he's like the best way to detox and the best way to step away from it is take 30 days off. And in those 30 days that you have off, um, think about the values that you have and what you want to take away from social media. It's as if you're flipping the relationship. Okay, this is the part that social media plays in my life. Um, whether it's connection, because obviously it's it's quite hard to be like, you know, get off all social media because um, it's been so hardly wired into it the way our society works in terms of communicating. Um, but there is definitely that balance and I think you speak to it. That podcast you did on the dopamine matrix, I'm putting that in the show notes. Uh, that was you and Thea. Um, yeah. That was an awesome one. Uh, I was telling you how I had already sent that to like three people and I only heard it last night. Um, and yeah, I feel like there's a There's a lot to unpack in that, and I think what what you said actually might be worthwhile touching on in terms of like our our brain not being able to delineate between um like dopamine in the sense of like a one and a zero um I found that really interesting because um the source and you might be able to explain this a bit better, but things that make me feel good or or mm. things that make me feel good and things that make me feel good about myself like I yes. found that really interesting, and
1: there was this tool that i that I mentioned which came out of some journaling that I did. At the start of lockdown in 2020, which was uh, basically writing up a list of things that feel good and then things that feel good, things that make me feel good about myself. Mm. Or the language might be slightly different, but that's the gist. And the key part there is that the things that make us feel good about ourselves are generally things that are taking us in the direction of a higher Mm. purpose that we have or a vision that we have for ourselves. And then the things that make us feel good are momentary, somewhat fleeting important right Mm. because balance is important we need to have these things in our life but also might not be contributing to those higher objectives that Mm. we have within ourselves um and so that's the key distinction there and then the one and the zero is basically um you know i've got a bit of a refinement on this but essentially the idea there is that your brain doesn't care where it gets the dopamine from if it gets it from socializing, that's a one. If it gets it from playing video games, mm-hmm. that's also a one. It just wants the dopamine in the circuitry, essentially. That's the way that the reward pathway is mm-hmm. is uh, wired. Mm-hmm. And there are different levels of um, a one and a zero in the sense that doing less video, like video games, will trigger a certain extent. Uh, Let me try and explain it this way. It's kind of like you've got that – you're playing that that carnival game where you're trying to have this – you're holding the hammer and you're playing that strength game to see how hard you can hit and there's like a certain threshold that's like (laughs) ding, 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 you are the winner. Like that's what's happening in your brain and then you're trying to do an activity and you're hitting the the, the thingo. So it's like, okay, I'm socializing with my friends or like I'm doing blah, blah, blah. I'm Mm. doing my work. Let's do doing (laughs) my work because I think it's a good one, right? I'm doing my work, I'm swinging the hammer, I hit it. The thing goes up and then there's a bar in my brain in which it's saying, like, congratulations, mm. you've hit the dopamine level, and it doesn't quite get there. It's, like, going up, up, mm. up, 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 and it stops short of it. And then all of a sudden, you know, we have this marvellous idea of <laughs> you Check my phone, <laughs> there might be a notification and someone that, like, has interacted with me online It's like, yes. So... You know, you then pull out the phone and then you go online and then instantly it's yeah. just like massive <laughs> hammer comes in, hits the thing, oh, and it just like skyrockets through the ceiling of like this scale and it's like ding, 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 ding. <laughs> yes. Do more of that. And that's essentially what's happening in our brains. And so the idea is that if we can essentially regulate the amount of activities that shoot that, that set the bar really, really high Mm. in terms of what we need in terms of dopamine. If we can regulate that down a bit, it allows us to have more internal motivation towards things that just naturally won't Mm. exhibit as much dopamine uh, as those things that are designed to extract Mm. as much from us Mm. as possible, like Facebook and Instagram and all of that stuff. So like to draw that just a bit more clearly Doing your work does not give you mm. anywhere near the same level of dopamine hit as your tolerance has been, as what your tolerance has created from mm. Facebook, Instagram, social media, all those different things. And so if we can regulate that stuff down a little bit more when we're thinking about what to do next and that's what the dopamine pathway does, it tells mm. us, hey, how about this thing, how about that thing, the things that we're actually committed to that make us feel good about ourselves mm. are going to come up more often. And we're going to feel more rewarded from doing them because we've kind of reset our levels and we're maintaining our levels at a certain uh, threshold so that we can get more reward out of that those activities. And, and like, I think to your point, like, it, it makes
0: sense why, you know, those notifications are like that really bright red because they're psychologically designed for us to click into. Like, people click onto things that are like blaring red. And I think what's, um, you know, just to go on like a little tirade, like, and I think Cal Newport speaks about this, but like even social media, you've got like... These two big teams that exist within, you know, Facebook and all these other organizations, Facebook, Insta, all these other places where you've got, I guess, like tech psychologists or or people that know um, how the brain works and how to get people addicted to the tech and addicted to um, getting on Facebook and staying there because they've got a number of metrics they look at, like click through rate, um, time spent, engagement, all these different things. And they're looking to maximize that. So you've got one lever coming from that side. Another department that exists within these organizations uh, are your machine learning and AI teams. Um, and they're, they're working together to get you hooked. And I think when I heard Cal Newport talk about that, I was just like, wow, like there's a reason, like all credit to them. They've done a superb job of getting us glued onto these devices. Um, and it's hard, it's bloody hard taking a step back from it and being like, okay, I want to start consciously designing my life. So, um, yeah, I think it's a lifelong journey. I think tech is here to stay. Um, for the next 60 or 70 years And the way I look at it is If we can start developing these habits now They not only serve us now in the moment they'll, But they will probably serve us for the next 30 or 40 or 50 years um, And so um, Yeah, it's massive Like I'm obviously passionate about this I, I love talking about this um, Whether I exemplify the same um, <laughs> Same things that I say That's a different story, I'm working towards that But um, yeah, like dude <laughs> I have had a lot of fun uh, speaking with you on this podcast, like I feel like we've covered so much ground. Um, there is one thing I want to finish off on, or probably two things. One, obviously, where can people find you? And we'll get to that. Um, but two, like maybe like a piece of advice. Um, I know a big thing within the man cave is doing the work. Um, uh, because before you can start doing the work with other kids, you need to do the work within yourself. And for people who are out there that are listening and, probably a bit lost maybe don't have a sense of community maybe um know that there's things that they need to work on within themselves um quite a broad question do you have any advice and like maybe you can speak to your experiences and how you've gone about doing the work um because we all want to be better people at the end of the day um but we're kind of lost in getting there so um is there any advice that you have for people that want to do the work Uh, Just in terms of like getting started, um, getting the ball rolling. Yeah, 100%,
1: man. Um, What I would say is slow down and feel. Like slow down and feel just how uncomfortable things are right now and just how challenging they are. And really allow yourself to process that because it's when those things are subconsciously permeating throughout our life and we're distracting ourselves with technology and new experiences and yada yada Hmm. that we create these self-perpetuating loops that we get trapped in and that are really easy to maintain you know even if i if we make it practical every time you reach for your phone and this is something that i did personally and it was genuinely game-changing for me every time you reach for your phone before you you actually pick it up just stop and sense if there's anything that you feel physiologically within you and for me like i get this feeling that's like just below my sternum in my chest internally that goes down towards kind of like my stomach and it's just this this is there's this feeling of tension that i sometimes get and i just try to yeah. notice that and then breathe into it and just let myself kind of process that energy that's there within my body and sometimes it'll just be the energy fleeting away other times there's a really profound insight that might come out of that as to what's making us react that way what's making us feel a certain way and you might just find as well that in the process of doing that action you don't feel as compelled to pick up that phone and like that can be taken with any kind of example that we have um, that we use to kind of deal with how we're feeling um, and when we start doing that, like that, that is the thing that unlocks the pathway to being able to design whatever kind of lifestyle we want to live is when we're really deeply attuned to how we're feeling and then we're also allowing ourselves to feel it.
0: That was absolutely poetic, man. I don't think I can top it off with anything that will come out of my mouth. So massive thank you for coming on board and thanks again for the conversation.
1: Thanks, man. It's been great chatting and also thanks everyone for listening. Um, I hope we can... Uh, Connect in the future as well over another conversation.
0: That'd be really cool. And there you have it. That's another episode done and dusted. DJ Man, thank you heaps for coming on and sharing your story. A massive kudos to you, but also the you know the massive Man Cave family as well for the work that you guys are doing across Australia. I'm always in awe of the work that you guys are doing. So continue the good work. Um, for those listening, uh, we made a couple of references both to DJ's uh, Instagram and where he can find where you can find him. Uh, but also some of the other podcasts that he's been on. So I've put them all in the show notes below. Please do check them out. Um, If you love the work that we're doing at Bottled Up, uh, please do check us out both on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. Our handle is at Bottled Up Oz, uh, and you can find us on all those um, platforms mentioned. So stay tuned. We've got an awesome guest next week, Jono Nicholas, who's the Chief Mental Health Advisor at EY. Um, Also a board member, uh, part of the Man Cave, and was one of the founding CEOs of Reach Out Australia um, and Reach Out Ireland, I think, as well. So um, a guy with a wealth of experience, and there's a lot of gems in that one as well. So stay tuned. We look forward to having you next week. And until then, adios and stay safe.